1: most of this information, you know, it's too much to handle, you know, for an average user or for the regular uh, security researcher.
0: That's Liviu Arsene. He's a global cybersecurity researcher with Bitdefender. The research we're discussing today is titled Strong Pity APT, revealing trojanized tools, working hours and infrastructure.
1: And that's why we have some sort of automated systems that flag Potentially interesting samples, potentially interesting malware. And that's when, you know, somebody goes in and manually digs through the sample to see if, uh, if it's something interesting and uh, worthwhile.
0: Well, let's go through it together. So this, uh, this APT group, Strong Pity, they come to your attention.
1: Uh, take us through what you discovered. Right. So basically, we found a campaign, apparently, that they seem to have been operating um, uh, since last year. I think it uh, it all started with uh, October 1st, 2019. At least that's our best guess. But um, it seems to have been targeting the Kurdish community. So basically, uh, it seems to have been targeting victims either uh, at the border with Syria or in Turkey's uh, capital city. So it, whoever was behind this uh, in terms of, um, I mean, we assumed that this APT group might have potentially been state-sponsored uh, with some sort of political motivation because um, the timestamps on the samples that we found seem to coincide with the same date when the Operation Peace Spring uh, began. So basically that was the day mm-hmm. when Turkish military offensive began into northern Syria. That is kind of like the the only, if you will, uh, circumstantial evidence that we can we have right now to tie the campaign with this uh, military operation.
0: I see. Well, well, take us through exactly what was going on here. What were they up to?
1: So, uh, judging by the way they set up the infrastructure and by the way they compromised victims, it seems that they were selectively targeting um, uh, selectively selectively targeting victims. Yeah. So they basically used a, an attack technique that we called uh, watering hole. Uh, it's basically the type of tactic that involves your victim coming to you instead of you going after your victim. So you know mm. if if traditionally uh, attackers would try to um, you know exploit a vulnerability in your browser, get you to download uh, something from a tampered website, you know, from, or a website that they control, or click on an attachment or stuff like that. Now it seems that they decided to tamper with some localized software uh, aggregates and sharers, basically just waiting for their victims to come to them and do some actions on a website that they frequently visit. That's how you know that it's a targeted attack, because they apparently seem to have had a very good understanding of their victim's profile and the types of websites that they visit so that they would know to compromise in advance and simply just wait it out, just wait for the victims to come to them.
0: And so what were they, What sorts of websites were they taking advantage of?
1: It's just uh, software aggregates and sharers. Basically the types of um, websites that you would use whenever you wanted to download some tools, you know, like common archivers or uh, unzipping tools or emulation tools, stuff like that. Hmm. So it's just regular traditional tools that you would normally use uh, on your computer. I
0: see. So suppose I'm someone who uh, finds myself with one of these compromised tools. Uh, I install it on my system. What would happen next?
1: Well, the interesting thing is that you wouldn't know that you've installed something malicious. Now, the way this thing works is that uh, they seem to have had a list of IP addresses of um, that belong to their targets. So whenever they got a hit from one of those IP addresses visiting the compromised websites they would automatically redirect them to an infected tool. So, for example, let's say I'm the victim, I visit the website, the attacker knows my IP address in advance, and I want to download, for example, uh, 7-zip. Instead of downloading the legitimate 7-zip, the attacker would redirect my download request to one of their own servers that practically feeds me a tampered version of 7-zip. I would then install 7zip it's a perfect. it has a perfectly valid and legitimate package so it uh, after install you know I wouldn't see anything peculiar nothing you know uh, out of the ordinary would happen but it seems that you know the tool actually came with some additional components um, from what we were able to gather it seems to have had about four components uh, mostly designed for um, persistency uh, data exfiltration and stuff like that
0: So so to be clear here, I mean, the the app's primary functionality was still in place. If you were downloading a a utility for zipping files, it was still able to do
1: that. Exactly. So they actually used the legit setup, the the legitimate file, the legitimate tool uh, that you would otherwise get from the legitimate website. But they added Mm -hmm. some additional components on the side, you know, just to make things interesting. Well, take us
0: behind the scenes here of some of the additional components. What exactly they were up to?
1: So, there's a launcher and persistence component. Basically, the name is pretty self-explanatory. It allows, um, it, it it sets up the exfiltration, basically, and command execution component as a persistent task on the victim's machine. And then it has a component that's specifically designed to search. Uh, through every file, every drive, every folder you have on your computer. It's a file searcher component. So all of these, especially the file searcher component, actually accept instructions from the command and control infrastructure alone. And you know, since I was talking about the command and control infrastructure, what's interesting about it is that we seem to have uncovered that it's it has multiple layers. I mean, you're, the victim doesn't directly communicate with the, um, the final CNC. It goes through some additional steps. For example, uh, as soon as the victim is infected, there's a level uh, first layer that intercepts the communication, pretty much guaranteeing or making sure that um, uh, the, indeed we're talking about a legitimate victim. It kind of validates the victim, if you will. Mm. Then it simply forwards that communication to a second layer CNC, which if you will, it kind of acts like a proxy. So it makes sure that indeed whatever the level two CNC is receiving comes from a CNC that's exists that's already part of the infrastructure, and you know it's not somebody trying to impersonate a level a level one CNC. It also validates that indeed we're talking about a victim that a legitimate victim is actually trying to communicate. And the level two then just forwards everything that it received from the level one to the level three, which is the final command and control infrastructure. And to me, hmm. you know, this is this is kind of interesting. I mean, you don't see a lot of instances in which somebody goes through all this trouble. And this is to cover their tracks, you presume. So yeah, I, this is, a, if you will, it's a tactic to make things dif- difficult for us, to make things very difficult in, in terms of finding out who's behind it, who owns the infrastructure. And, you know, what's the purpose for each layer sometimes, you know, it adds obfuscation to the entire problem.
0: And what sort of insights were you able to gain by sort of unwinding that, discovering these multiple tiers?
1: Well, not much, actually, we just found that this is uh, the type of infrastructure that they seem to use. It's likely that um, this is just part of it, because we've backtrack this i mean everything that we found with other research found in the past and it seems that these guys have a pretty good track record of uh, having infrastructure based in europe and other countries so it's likely that you know they have a, a a much broader infrastructure but um this is just the scale that they've used in this particular campaign so it's likely that they're going to be using it uh you know it's likely that the the full infrastructure is yet invisible to us it's like piecing together pieces of a puzzles. Uh, you know, one security researcher finds uh, this three-layer infrastructure, another security infrastructure finds an additional layer or finds another command and control server and so on. So without it's difficult to have the, the full scope and magnitude of, uh, of, the, of the infrastructure that they're using. And I guess this is pretty much the whole reason why we call them an APT group. You know, they're mm-hmm. advanced, persistent, they're, they're knowledgeable, skillful, and uh, in sometimes they have uh, some sort of political benefactor or government benefactor.
0: Well, and and one of the things you note here is that there seems to be a certain professionalism to them, like they they're keeping regular working hours.
1: Oh yeah, so this is this is actually quite interesting because we've seen malware as a service, you know, traditional malware that's being developed and delivered to the highest bidder. You know, acting pretty much like a software outsourcing company. You know, these guys, instead of showing up to work, they wake up at 9 a.m., sit in front of a computer, they've got a project manager, they've got marketing, they've got sales, and they just write their own uh, piece of code during working hours. APT groups take this to a whole new level. I mean, if you're talking about a group that's potentially um, state sponsored and has some sort of uh, political motivation, it's literally just like a software outsourcing company. These guys wake up at 9 a.m. I mean, they clock in and they clock out at you know 6 p.m. and hmm. you know it's it, it they pretty much act like uh, security experts if you will, except they're sitting on the wrong side of the fence <laughs> because <laughs> because make no mistake um, they are very good at what they do. They have a very good understanding of how security uh, solutions work, of how operating system work. I mean, the internals of operating system work, and um, in some cases they are even more skilled than uh, traditional security uh, security folk.
0: Now, in terms of detecting what they were up to, I mean, when, once they're within an environment, how, how noisy are they? How stealthy are they? How likely are they to be discovered?
1: Right, so that's the interesting thing. Um, you probably won't know that they've breached your infrastructure or exfiltrated some information before it's probably too late because... Um, what they do is once they have that component that I said, uh, start searching for files. You know, they look for files with specific extensions. They, if they find some files that are interesting, they they, they just simply download them on a network computer that sits within the same uh, compromised infrastructure, or they sit it sits you know on the victim's uh, computer, basically a folder. So they gather all the information they need from various folders, partitions. Or even, you know, network attached devices into a single folder on the victim's computer. Now, once they have all that, they simply create archives of it. They split them and just send them to the command and control server. You know, if you're if you're a network administrator, you'd see that your employee is probably uploading some zip files to a file share or is uploading some files online. But it's nothing out of the ordinary to upload a file, a zip file.
0: And they're encrypted as well, which which adds to the. Difficulty in, in analyzing what's being sent, I suppose.
1: Exactly. Sometimes they're encrypted. Sometimes they're password protected, you know, making, making decompression difficult to find out what, what exactly goes on. And after they've, they've successfully exfiltrated everything they needed to know, you know, they delete the, the archives, the folder, and they even have a kill switch that they can, uh, they can use to simply remove the threat from the infected computer and just be gone with it. You know, just remove any forensic evidence that they might have left behind.
0: Well, uh, let's touch on on persistence here. Do they have uh, do they have ways of of, uh, of staying on a machine if they want to if, if they are discovered and the the folks uh, clean off their machine, for example, uh, are they able to come back?
1: Um, it depends. I mean, most of the persistence mechanisms that mechanisms that we've seen involve creating a new service and naming that service. Uh, you know, like uh, something wi- a Windows service would be named, like print spooler or, or you know, s- stuff like that. So if you don't know what you're looking for, if you're looking at that service and you don't know what it does and it has a common name, you're probably not going to realize that it's a malicious service. Of course, if you do a complete wipe or if you uh, kill that service, it will probably be spinned up again once the computer reboots. I see. Well, so what are your recommendations for
0: folks to protect themselves against this?
1: Oh, well, so... I think you should probably, uh, you know, first and foremost, use a security solution. It's not often that I get to stress this strong enough. You know, I've got a lot of complaints uh, from people that say they've been compromised or they've had some sort of security issue because they either disabled some feature from the features from the security solution, or because at some point they decided they know better. I actually have quite a few stories with people that got infected by disabling the security solution because they believe the spear phishing email you know, instead of the security solution. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, so start with that. Then uh, it's probably best that you also, you know, try to uh, get your information and get your tools, get your software from, from um, the legitimate website. If you want to download applications, make sure you download them from the official website, not, you know, uh, sources that you are not usually trusted. Or they are trusted, but they could be compromised. So again, make sure that you you're getting your information from the official website. And if you if you're a company and you want to make sure that even if something like this happens and an employee ends up being affected, I think it's also important to have the proper security stack uh, deployed within your infrastructure. I mean, look, now since everybody's working from home, I think, you know, most companies think that their employees are usually the weakest link basically because they're no longer within the company infrastructure and they're relying on their home network. If you will address that, if you will, you need to have some sort of technologies deployed on the endpoint, you know, on the employee's endpoint that do um, some sort of network analysis, some sort of um, uh, policy um, enforcement in terms of what these employees can install, cannot install, and stuff like that. There, There are security... Uh, technologies out there that will offer you even the uh, opportunity to assess your employees' home network remotely. For example, um, uh, this is something that I, uh, I've recommended since the pandemic. If your employees start, you know, uh, dialing into your infrastructure from their home network, wouldn't it be interesting if you could just, you know, take their uh, IP addresses and just run a port scan on them? Just to make sure that, you know, maybe their router is exposing the router control interface online. Maybe they have some custom shares that they've you know enabled without knowing on their routers and they're publicly exposing files online you do some sort of if you'll pen testing if you will on your employees home network and let them know about it because otherwise that's just you know mean
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Not very sporting of you, right? <laughs>
1: exactly. So everybody needs to be aware that, you know, this is, we're living in some interesting times and um, with everybody working from home, it's natural that some companies might feel that um, employees potentially can be more at risk than ever before, especially now uh, that they work from home. Now, if until now they received, for example, a spear phishing email, they could simply just, uh, you know, ask your buddy to the left or to the right hey is this an email coming from John you know the CFO oh no it's the CFO's on vacation well now mm. that they're home they've got nobody to ask and contacting your IT department is not really something that a lot of employees want to want to do so it's important to let them know that the IT department is there to help them any questions they may have you know doesn't matter how dumb they may be at first they're there to answer them and to educate them
0: yeah well, and, and I suppose with this strong pity group, I mean, the way with how targeted they are with the f- people that they're trying to hit, I mean, this doesn't sound like a broad campaign that's just trying to, to vacuum up everybody on the internet, but they know who they're after here.
1: Exactly. So again, just because they had that, sp- I mean, we actually saw a list, they, um, they had a list of IP addresses that they were specifically waiting for to connect uh, to those compromised websites. So that means they did their homework in advance. So they did a lot of investigation, if you will, on mm-hmm. who their victims are, what their IP address are, especially now potentially that they, you know, some of them might have worked from home. So they knew exactly who they were targeting and they knew their habits. They knew that they would visit those, uh, those websites frequently. So, you know, it was just a matter of waiting, waiting it out. Do you have any sense for how successful they were? Well, it's difficult to say because um, you don't know how much of uh, how much information they actually managed to get from their victims, and how many victims they successfully compromised. So, what mm. we do know is that they were waiting for a very limited number of victims. We know that they had the capabilities of exfiltrate pretty much everything they uh, they needed or wanted, but uh, in terms of what they actually and how much they actually managed to do you know, damage. In terms of damage, it's difficult to estimate.
0: Our thanks to Liv U. Arsene from Bitdefender for joining us. The research is titled Strong Pity APT, Revealing Trojanized Tools, Working Hours, and Infrastructure. We'll have a link in the show notes.